0: Hello and welcome to the Mind of Matter podcast. I am your host, Lucy Watts. So, before I launch into today's episode, I have a couple of extra tidbits that I want to add following on from last week's episode. So if you haven't had the chance to listen yet, um, I sat down with the brilliant Ruby Chiswell and we took on the topic of immigration and refugees. Um, So this is definitely the most divisive topic that I've taken on on this podcast so far. And I by no means pretend to have like um, an all-encompassing solution because this is a very complicated situation. But I am very passionate about educating myself and educating those around me about what is going on and engaging with the actual people who are seeking asylum. And one of the main reasons why I am so passionate is because literally the only reason why I have the freedoms that I do is because I live in a country that is safe and free And because I have parents who were able to provide a safe home for me. And literally the only reason why this is the case is because I just so happened to have been born in Australia. I had absolutely no say in where I was born. I literally just happened to come into this world and be given an Australian passport and this safe and privileged life. I could have just as easily have been born in an unsafe country or to parents who didn't have the means or the capabilities to take care of me. And it is because I have this privilege that I really feel like I owe it to those who don't to show them compassion and take the time to understand their experience. So we spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about Mexican migration to America. And something that I feel like I should clarify is that Obviously, Ruby and I spoke a lot about Mexico because we were in Mexico learning about this. Um, but also because Mexico and the U.S. share a border. So unless you fly into America, you essentially have to travel through Mexico to get to the U.S. border. Um, and there's this whole cliche that it's all Mexicans who are migrating to the U.S. when In reality, people are coming from all throughout Central America to seek refuge. Um, So it's funny. So, like, Fox News um, ran a story once where they had the headline on screen that said three Mexican countries. They did later apologize and admit that there is only one Mexican country. Um, But what's probably not well known is that there's this area called the Northern Triangle in Central America which is made up of three countries, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Um, And refugees from all three of these countries travel through Mexico in hopes of making it to the U.S. border. And if you want to learn more about the people who are seeking refuge and their experience if and when they make it to the U.S., there is a Netflix documentary called Living Undocumented, which I cannot recommend enough. (laughs) Also, Ruby and I touched on our experience of doing a simulated border crossing where we essentially pretended to cross the border from Mexico into the US with actors pretending to be our smugglers um, and also pretending to be gangs that we came across along the way. If you actually want to see what this simulation looks like in action. Hamish and Andy also did the simulation during their Caravan of Courage series through Central America. So if you have access to those episodes or feel like paying to rent them, you can watch the simulation on Hamish and Andy. Um, So obviously their experience was a lot more kind of comedic and was quite kind of laid back compared to our experience. But they do use comedy in a quite clever way to highlight kind of how scary and surreal the experience is. Or else, if you want a more kind of serious and realistic portrayal, there is a Netflix series called Dark Tourist, and the host does The Border Crossing at the end of the first um, episode of the series if you want to check that out. If you want a portrayal of the Australian refugee context, it is a little harder to find because we do do a pretty good job of keeping it covered up. Um, but there is a great autobiography that you can read by a man called Beirutus Um, and the autobiography is called No Friends But the Mountains. So he is a Kurdish-Iranian journalist um, and also a human rights activist and he was targeted in his home country because of his journalism and because he was kind of standing up for human rights so he came to australia to seek refuge and he was detained on manis island so he wrote his autobiography like secretly on the notes app of his phone when he was able to access his phone um and i guess a little bit of kind of positive news this year he was granted a refugee status by new zealand So I do understand that not everyone has the time to read, um, but I do have a little kind of antidote for you. So I was lucky enough to actually have Biru Bichani speak at my university. (laughs) So during one of my lectures, they organized a Skype call with him while he was on Manus Island, which is amazing. And I have absolutely no clue how they pulled this off. Um... The connection was terrible but like we were literally able to speak to him and ask him questions about life on the island and one of the main things that he spoke about was that asylum seekers on the island and i should probably mention that Manus island was technically closed down in 2017 um but asylum seekers on the island spent their whole day queuing so they would have to queue for hours for food to use the bathroom to shower And he said that this act of queuing essentially occupied their whole day, which stopped them from, I guess, kind of getting into trouble because there was nothing else to do on the island. And this was not just adults. This is kids as well. So while kids on the Australian mainland were going to school, meeting friends, getting an education, the kids on the island were deprived of this and would spend literally their whole day standing in queues for to access basic services, like using the bathroom. For a complete subject change, I have another little rant I guess I wanna add. I wanna talk about Harry Styles' appearance on the cover of Vogue. So recently, Harry Styles was the first ever solo man to be featured on the cover of Vogue magazine, and he did so wearing a dress. So Harry Styles said to Vogue, there's so much joy to be had in playing with clothes. I've never thought too much about it, about what it means. It becomes this extended part of creating something. So as you can expect, this caused a complete stir and there was a definite fraction of society who took issue with Harry Styles going against gender norms and wearing a dress. So Candace Owens took to Twitter to say, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Bring back manly men. On the contrary, Zach Braff, who plays um, like the main character in the tv series scrubs also talked to twitter and he wrote our whole life boys and men are told that we need to be manly life is short be whatever the fuck you want to be and i think the zach brass message here is so important particularly when men are experiencing mental illness like depression at such a high rate and Awareness and advocacy for men, men's mental health has only started to grow really recently. And I wholeheartedly believe that we need more messaging like this. So Zach Braff played the main character in Scrubs called JD. And it's funny because as a TV show, Scrubs was so ahead of his time in so many ways particularly with how it portrayed like mental illness and burnout in doctors, um, postnatal depression, and also how it portrayed friendship between men. But in some ways it has become quite dated. Um, So I do watch Scrubs with my boyfriend who's like one of the biggest fans. And sometimes there'll be like a line or a plot when we watch it and we're like, ooh, okay, yep, that, that didn't age well. And one of the running jokes in the series is that Zach Brass' character is not very manly. For example, he can't play sport um, and he doesn't like beer, so he drinks Apple Teenies. Um, and he has this mental kind of character called Dr. Cox who calls him girls' names rather than calling him JD. And there's an episode where Dr. Cox gives JD pieces of cards that are titled man cards. Um, and whenever J- JD does something that's kind of considered girly or weak, he has to like hand in one of his man cards. So it's really interesting to consider how society has changed from portrayals like this. And I think Zach Braff is so in point in acknowledging that this pressure on men exists and saying, screw it, just do what makes you happy is such an important message. Which is why the Candace Owen quote rubs me so much the wrong way because she says that we need strong men and takes issue with what she sees as a feminization of men. So essentially she's saying that if something is feminine, it's automatically weak and to be strong you need to fit masculine ideals. And I would argue that Harry Styles doing this shoot and being the first man to perform such a feat makes him an incredibly strong man particularly how he's had the bravery to be so unapologetically himself and represent what he believes in. And ultimately what I think it comes down to is we just need to redefine what it means to be strong and redefine what it means to be manly and just take this unnecessary pressure off men. Anyway, all rants aside, let's get into today's episode. So today I am talking social media algorithms. I feel like this is the kind of topic like similar to climate change conversations where it's important and we know that we need to acknowledge it and deal with it but it's kind of confronting so it's easier to kind of put it in like the too hard basket and kind of put your head in the sand a bit but like the reality is that our lives are controlled by our phones and social media so much more than we probably care to admit A couple of stats to kind of put this in perspective for you. According to research by We Are Social, in Australia, we spend an average of 40 hours per week on social media, which is literally equivalent to working a full-time job. And one out of the every three minutes that we spend on the internet is on some kind of social media. So the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, blew up a couple of months ago um, and I guess really exposed us to the extent to which we're being manipulated by social media platforms. If you haven't watched this doco, I know you've probably had like 100 people in your life tell you to watch it. And I am going to be the 101th person to tell you to get on it because it really is so important and interesting to know. I will concede they do take a bit of Kind of like creative license with the show and how they portray it, but it is really effective. And, like, as I said, it it is really important to know. And I'm not doing this podcast to say that we should stop using social media because that's just simply not realistic. And also because social media can be so great in so many ways. And the irony is not lost on me that I will promote my episode about social media on social media. But what I am trying to say is that when social media is such a big part of our lives, it is really helpful to understand it and realize if and how it's negatively affecting us. So one of the main things that becomes quite clear on the social dilemma is just how much our profiles know about us and just how much they tailor content and try and manipulate what we engage with. And in doing a lot of research for this episode, one of the main arguments I came across is that these algorithms weren't as initially created with insidious intentions. They were created as a way of ensuring that the content in our feeds was actually relevant to us due to the sheer amount of content and opportunities for spam that's out there. But this led to what is known as echo chambers, where... The more that you engage with like-minded content, the more it features on your feed, which means you're more likely to engage with it, which means it's more likely to appear on your feed. So it becomes this like reinforcing circle. And the problem with this is that you are only exposed to one perspective and all other perspectives are slowly drowned out. And this was particularly relevant or I guess is particularly relevant to American politics Um, and they describe in The Social Dilemma that politics in America has never been more polarised and this kind of dates back all the way to like the 2016 election where people are only being exposed to content that reinforces their beliefs and they're not being exposed to the kind of counter-argument or the opposing side. A particularly kind of scary part of this phenomenon is the potential for people to be exposed to like radical or extremist ideals and the algorithm keeps reinforcing these ideas and slowly providing recommendations to the individual that become progressively more radical. Um, I don't think I'm explaining it very well, but this is shown like very clearly and like in an easy to understand way on The Social Dilemma. So, a few weeks ago, I did an episode on cancel culture and the act of deplatforming someone online. And I came across an article published in the conversation, which was written by Anjana Suzala, which was titled Hate Cancel Culture, Blame Algorithms. And she describes how algorithms work to promote content that causes outrage because outrage increases engagement and the length of time you spend using the platform. And she also describes that misleading content tends to attract more engagement than verified information. And this begs the question like, how much control do we actually even have over our own outrage? Another example is Instagram, which is a platform that um, is shrouded in a lot of controversy around kind of body image and body shaming. I mean, we already kind of know that Instagram can be very damaging for body image because it's such a visual platform. Um, But the, the situation of body shaming was highlighted by a woman called Celeste Barber. Um, And she, what she like does on her feed is that she parodies photos who are like taken by models on Instagram. And she posts kind of like funny side-by-side comparisons um, so she copied a photo taken by Victoria's Secret model Candace Swanpole, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, <laughs> um, where Candace was completely naked, but she was covering herself using her hands and like a selectively placed towel. <laughs> it's kind of like a lot easier to understand if you actually see the image, and I will post a link to it on my website. And Celeste Barber's followers found that when they tried to reshare her post, they couldn't, and a message came up saying that the image included nudity or sexual activity. But when they tried to reshare Candace, Candace's post, um, the original post remained shareable and the same pop-up didn't come up. So this was labelled as body shaming because Celeste was not a Victoria's Secret model level of skinny and this meant that her post was classed as inappropriate. And this was a common theme of plus size models on Instagram finding that their posts were being restricted or taken down while skinnier women were able to get away with the same poses or showing the same amount of their body. And I learned that how it actually works is that Instagram's algorithms analyze the image for how much skin is in the image in terms of pixels. And if the image is over 60% skin, it flags the image. So if you have two women who wear the same bathing suit and post it on Instagram, if one woman is bigger than the other, she likely has more skin, which means that she's more likely to have her image flagged, even though she's literally wearing the same bikini. Um, To move on to TikTok. So TikTok is a platform that I guess has really taken off this year while people have been stuck at home in lockdown throughout the world and I will shamelessly admit to being a big fan I've never actually posted anything on TikTok I'm just kind of like one of those like awkward creeps that just watch things that other people post but there was an article published in Forms magazine by Janice Gassam-Aseri in which she explores how race plays out on TikTok So how the algorithm works is that TikTok recommends content to you based on your characteristics. And this includes characteristics such as your skin tone and your hair color. So if you are a white blonde woman, your page will likely be filled by other white blonde women. And the problem with this is that people of color and minorities are less likely to appear on these algorithms and their voices will be drowned out, particularly because the majority of TikTok users are white. So Twitter has also been kind of implicated in racist algorithms. Um, So I don't really use Twitter, so I didn't know this, but if you try and post a photo on Twitter, which is bigger than the size of the thumbnail, the Twitter algorithm is designed to, analyze the image and find the most, air quotes, appealing part of the image to feature. However, it has been revealed that the algorithm will almost always choose a white person over a person of color to be featured in the thumbnail um, if if both of them are in the same image. And this suggests that the algorithm identifies white skin as being more appealing. And this has nothing to do with where people are placed in the image or how large they are in the image, because no matter how you try it, the white face always wins. And so, as I said, I'm not trying to say that we should delete our social media, but I am saying that we deserve to be more aware of the algorithms at play and also that these platforms should be called out for racist or body shaming algorithms, Um and we should be constantly pressuring them to improve their practices and be better. And to give credit, they are, you know, when it when it causes outrage, a lot of the platforms will change what they're doing. For example, with the case of Celeste Barber, Instagram did issue her an official apology and they did change the settings on her post so that it could be reshared, which I think just shows how important it is for us to be educated and, and for us to, you know, call these platforms out and make sure that the right change is being made. So that is all that I have got for you today, but thank you so much for listening along. I do release a new episode every Monday and will be back in your ears next week. But until then, thank you and goodbye.